Welcome to Dudes on Movies, a podcast where dudes talk about movies. I'm your dude, Scott. I'm your dude, Dave. And today we're discussing 1969's The Cremator, directed by Uri Hertz and starring Rudolph Rosinski. But before we do that, let's talk about what we've been watching. Dave, what have you been watching? Uh, French Connection 2. Uh, you ever see Ooh, this? Ooh, I've never seen the sequel. Mm. Well, I, I gotta tell you that uh, this this might be the least sympathetic protagonist in that I've ever seen in a movie. Really? Um, Popeye Doyle is the worst kind of police officer and the worst kind of entitled American asshole. I know that that's what it's supposed to be, but I don't like <laughs> that in the spoiler alert for The French Connection 2, I don't like that he's victorious. And I don't like that the movie kind of makes it look like it was he was right all along. Yeah, because the first one ends with like, man, that guy fucked everything up. And, yeah. Well, it's like kind of left... You don't know what happens, but... I know. And the second one picks up where they send Popeye to Marseille to, like, track down Fernando Rey, and that's what it is, like, him trying to, you know, like, like get justice. The, the Americans, you know, want this drug dealer to face his charges, and uh, but that's not how Popeye does business, as we know. He doesn't oh, care about no. the justice system. He wants to gun somebody down. Oh, my God. And, uh, wow, yeah, I, I'm... I was really grossed out by this movie, and maybe just it's so 2023 eyes. I don't know. I don't know. Did William Friedkin direct the sequel? Um, no, he didn't. Okay. All right. Yeah, because the first one, you're grossed out by it, but that's kind of the point exactly. of it. Exactly. Because they're telling you yeah. Popeye's a bad guy. Yeah. You know, and yeah, th this one kind <laughs> of lionizes him a little bit, and I don't like it. Oh, dude. Gene Hackman. Yep. It's a good character. He's but great. Yeah. yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, Gene Hackman is a truly great actor, but it's just, it's really hard to watch him do, the, Popeye do what he does it, it, with, with, you know, modern uh, right. sensibilities. Yeah. I watched from 1987. It's kind of a cult classic nowadays. It's The Gate. Have you heard of this yes, or seen I've this? Seen yeah. The Gate with yes. uh, young Stephen Dorff. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an 80s almost like a kid horror movie. The ones that kind of like walk the line along. Maybe this isn't for kids. Yes, it's one of those things. It's not amazing, but it's not bad at all. It definitely is worthy of having this cult following. These kids accidentally open a portal to hell while their parents are out of town. You right. know, and they got to deal with the demons and all the crap that comes out of it. And it's a fun little like adventure. And there's really some good like scary stuff that happens. Mm -hmm. And there's some really good special effects for the time, like stop motion animation and even like a forced perspective. You know how they did like Lord of the Rings? They make Elijah Wood look small yes. next to Ian McKellen. And they use these camera tricks to make these little demons really look great. I know. Like they almost look like stop motion themselves, but they're actually people in costumes. It's pretty good, man. I know. Um, it can drag in parts, but like it's. If you like this kind of stuff, like it's not as good as like maybe like Gremlins or Goonies and those kind of movies. Or, right. But if you like that stuff, and heck, if you like Stranger Things, come into this. That's true. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you can. Yeah. When you go back and watch The Gate now, you can see where Stranger Things got a lot of a, yeah, a lot of material from. Yeah. So let's talk about The Cremator, Dave. Okay. An another pretty haunting and scary movie indeed why don't you give everyone a synopsis okay um so this is a story that follows a man who runs a crematorium uh which we later find out is just window dressing for uh a larger conversation uh about conformity and how it enables evil so this is a an expressionist film art film that, that deals with ideas and philosophy instead of a plot and, um, you know, our discussion will probably reflect a lot of that. We'll probably have a lot to say about a lot of things. Yeah, we probably won't go... I mean, like you said, they're, they're, the plot doesn't really matter much. No. I mean, it, it kind of does, but it doesn't. It's more about this guy slipping into madness, and you're taking that ride with him. 
And because of its technique, the madness kind of starts even before he goes mad. Yeah. The sound design and the Dutch angles give everything this otherworldly quality that just puts you like at a distance, but is also kind of intimate too. Yeah. Everything blends together. Like you mentioned the camera work. I don't think there's like a normal shot in this movie. I there's don't think so either. Very yeah. few. Yeah. It's mainly these Dutch angles. There's close-ups, like extreme, extreme close-ups. close-ups. Yes. Wide lens, fisheye, yep. point of view shots, fourth wall breaking. I know. Like this movie, <laughs> the movie is a trip. Yeah. It's, you're in this guy's mind. And full disclosure, everybody, Scott brought this one to the show and he blew me away because I had no idea there was a Czechoslovakian new wave in cinema. I did not yeah. know that. Um, I knew about the Prague Spring, but I thought that was all literary. I didn't know that there was this, <laughs> you know, uh, like movement of of like truly innovative movie making that was going on in Czechoslovakia yeah, at the time. Late 60s. Yes. I think it started around the time the American new wave was kicking off. Right. Um, highly influenced by the French New Wave from yes. the late 50s. But yeah, I was kind of shocked. You had never even heard of this film, Dave. Uh, and I mean, and I've I've been like, I've been watching European cinema for, for you know, yeah. most of my adult life. I'd never heard of it. I, I, I kind of, once I started watching it, I started to recognize like more modern European filmmakers and like the techniques yeah. that they've borrowed from this. I mean, like you look at Bart Lars von Trier's stuff and it is like, uh, it's very much, yeah. you know, this kind of thing. I mean, like, he he stole everything pretty much from these filmmakers. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, this movie, it came out in 1969, and I think within a couple years it was banned. Yes. It wasn't even allowed to be shown anymore because of kind of the extreme nature of it. Um, yeah. And, like, Soviet occupation and things, and you, you couldn't show it until, like, I think it was, think yeah. it was maybe the 90s it, I think it was, it yeah, out. okay, because after the wall fell down and, like, the Soviet yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. block uh, was disintegrated, yeah, th- then, and you had, like, actual democracy again. But it was in, pretty much lost to yeah. cinema until it was rediscovered in the 90s. Okay, Um yep. And became a, a, a big deal again and a major influence again. Yes. But, man, this movie, the camera work and, like you said, the there's this droning soundtrack to it. Oh, man, just, I know, yeah. That goes throughout all the scenes. It's, it's this haunting score that unsettles you throughout the whole thing. And you combine that with these camera angles uh, shot by Stanislav Melota, everybody. You, we got to give credit where credit's due. Of course. This guy's amazing. And on top of these things, the technical things, there's the narration that is prevalent throughout the whole film. Right. It's not a narration where he's telling you what's happening. He's kind of just spouting this philosophy he has, whether it's to people in the scene or to the audience. Yeah. You can't tell who he's talking to, actually, because that's (laughs) how it's presented. It's almost he's talking to everyone at the same time. It, it's quite strange. I know because you, you don't you can't quite tell if the other characters know that he's narrating. It's almost like a yeah. Shakespeare soliloquy where it's like, is is this happening within the action of the of the story or is or is he breaking the fourth wall? Well, you don't really know. Yeah, and there's kind of like two types of scenes. I think there's the ones where he's mostly like when he is doing these narrations, it's kind of like he's in his own mind. Yeah. And he's kind of walking people around the scene. Everyone's doing exactly what he's saying with no question. It's almost like they're not even hearing him. Right. And then there's other scenes where predominantly when he's with like the third Reich people with the party and he is talking to them and they're speaking to him. And that's almost more like reality. Yes. 
And these other scenes are more like his fantasy. And in those scenes where it's more traditional storytelling, it feels almost out of place because, not because it's bad, but because we've been led to believe that like, there's so much of this narration and this kind of uh, him stepping outside of the action that we're, we're like kind of, uh, it's jarring when he's actually yeah. just talking to people like a normal person. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> and, and of course that, that's where they put all of the most terrible stuff. Right. You know, um, like just watching him unravel, not only mentally, but also become a conformist. Right. And, yeah. Uh, and in the most dangerous way. So the plot of the film is he and his family, they, they live in Czechoslovakia. And it takes place in the 1930s, where the Nazi party's rising in power, World War II's about to begin, and he has German friends, I guess, who are trying to recruit him to the party, because they, I guess they fled Germany after World War I and moved here, his family did, and he's 100% German, but his wife has a, or a Jewish mother, and that brings in a conflict into the movie, but the, the movie is basically him becoming a Nazi party member, and being able to realize his views on death yeah. and how it is good to end suffering <laughs> and things like this. This guy takes the wrong turn. I mean... And he thinks he's doing the right thing. And that's the real scary part of it, is that he runs a crematorium where people are, you know, like dead bodies are cremated. Yes. And he believes that he has this highly inflated sense of, of like his place in the world. Yes. Um, that, that he is, uh, that his chosen vocation of cremating people like liberates the soul and yeah. it frees people of, of their, their burdens. And as the movie goes on and he gets further and further into like, you know, uh, Nazi Nazism, mm -hmm. um, we're, we're of course met with the specter of concentration camps and, uh, you know, yeah. gas chambers and, now he Man. now he's thinking about it on a grand scale. Oh, I could liberate hundreds of souls all at one time. Yes. He's doing it out of race hate, but also he he thinks that he is like uh he's an instrument of of like a divine instrument of yeah. of he's, you know, soul liberation. He's he's self-righteous in a way. And, of course. Yeah. And he is I guess he's a Buddhist in the movie. He believes in reincarnation and that when you do free these souls they go into another life. He carries around this book about Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah. And he's always quoting from it. And he believes, like, one of his other fantasies is that he's going to be the next Dalai Lama. Yes. And it's all mixed up in Nazism somehow. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's the most... Yes. Like, I, I've, I've never seen anything like this. And at the end of the movie, he believes he is the next Dalai Lama. Yeah. It's something. He's going to run the gas chambers and oh, man. exterminate you know, a whole race of people and set them free from the horrors of this world. This is how Nazism became what it was because people truly believed these things. Stuff like that can only flourish if people don't do anything to stop it. Mm -hmm. In this case, I mean, thinking that your chosen occupation in life makes you invaluable to humanity can also cause you to lose your own humanity. It's depressing as hell to think about, to say the least. Yeah. And... Honestly, when you think about like just Czechoslovakia at the time, I mean, like World War II had only been over for about 24 years at that point. All of Europe suffered under Hitler and yeah. the Nazis, but Czechoslovakia in particular, Prague is one of the great cities in, in, in the world. And that the Nazis just laid claim to it. They took over France. They took over Poland. They took over Czechoslovakia. They mm -hmm. took over Austria. I mean, they're trying to erase Slovak and Czech culture and replace it with German culture. And to do that, they <laughs> exterminated people. Yeah. It's disturbing to see how 
they got their hooks into this guy. Yeah. Like, I feel like, um, so the main character, I forget his name, it's Carl something? We'll, we'll call him Carl, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he uh, is played by Rudolph Rosinski, who just, his presence in this film is just dominating what a the screen. Yeah. Ultimate physical uh, presence on the screen. It reminds me a lot of Oliver Reed, how he just, oh my gosh, he just right. walks in yeah. and is just, he is there. Yes. And you can't take your eyes off him. He's a barrel chested dude who kind of looks like zero Mostel, but like a tough version of that. Yeah. You know, so, and, um, man, I can't forget where I was going with this. Cause like, Oliver Reed took over my mind. Um, <laughs> that happens, but I mean, his presence on camera really dominates everything yes. about this film. So the performance from Rudolph Rosinski is unbelievable. And the way he's doing his narration and speaking, it's almost soft, but it's this deep softness in his voice yeah. that is monotone. Hardly any kind of excitement or anything comes out of him. He just keeps going and going and going. Because it doesn't sound rehearsed at all. He, he's very naturalistic in his delivery. And it sounds like he has wanted to say all these things for a long time. Mm-hmm. And because he's been sitting on it and just, you know, like it's been in his head, it was already kind of finished. Like, yeah. a, like it's, it's now he's got a captive audience and he's allowed to yeah. speak what he's been thinking about it's, for many years. It's really funny you say that because he doesn't rehearse. He yeah. famously does oh, not yeah. rehearse. Okay, I didn't realize Rudolph that. Rudolph Rosinski doesn't do that. Wow. He comes in because he wants it to be extremely real. Okay. He he knows his stuff, <laughs> but he comes in and just goes with the flow. He's that kind of a performer. Okay. And that probably is why you have that feeling. That's, I mean, that that's really significant, actually. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yes. And and this movie, you know, like we've talked about, I mean, it's it's weird that it has this, this dominant central character who is self-obsessed and also, you know, like we've talked about with the inflated sense of self-importance. Yeah. Carl fetishizes death. He believes that it's, I mean, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a fact of life. We're yeah. all going to die. We all know this. Um, it's, it's the bargain we, we enter into when, yes. when we're born. <laughs> um, but he feels like the, the way he talks about death is, is it's, it's a gift, you know, and we should all look forward to it in some ways. Yeah. Um, and he obviously believes in an afterlife. And that this is just this mortal coil is is insignificant. And boy, you can really see how uh, organized religion can like completely <laughs> can ruin a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Um, not only his life, but of course the lives that he's like using this philosophy to then, you know, inflict pain upon. Yeah. I mean, group think of any kind mm-hmm. can be a horrible thing. Of course. I mean, it could be good in ways if it's used uh, carefully and not to inflict any harm on anyone. But sure. most of the time... It ruins a lot of people's lives. Because when you go along with something where you know the consequence is death for a lot of people, um, it, it, it doesn't take much to convert him. This guy, Walter, um, his friend, who mm-hmm. they, they, him and Walter, they, they fought for the Austrians in World War I. And now they're in Prague. Yeah. And Walter wants him to join the party. Walter is... Essentially, just like he's like one of Oscar Schindler's, you know, friends. I mean, yeah. he, he is like fully ensconced in like we need to join the party. We need to be part of this, you know, not not only because uh, it will give us benefits, but because you know, like, look, the German the German culture triumphant, right? And know? it's not like uh, Schindler where he's working from the inside, right? You know, 
like Walter Reinke really believes this stuff. That's why he's a part of it. Yes. He's not trying to hide oh, yeah, in plain absolutely. sight exactly, like, yeah. like Schindler is. Yeah, I don't mean to say that he's like had noble intentions well, like yeah, Oscar right. Schindler, but it's it's just he is like attending those gatherings and yes. like it's all about, you know, the the benefits that come from being a party member. You your your business is flourishes. Yeah. Um you, you have free labor. You can put people to work without paying. Them. He seduces Carl so easily yes. with these he shows him these cards of women who are working at the brothel and he seduces them with these. Yes. Because I mean, this movie has this, it's got such an erotic tone to it also, <laughs> right. which is so strange. Yeah. There's, there's tons of nudity in it and sexual situations and a lot of subtle things like that too. Of course. Where Rudolph Rosinski's like just eyeballing like the maid at the crematorium or yeah. something like licking his lips, almost looking at her. And it's so unsettling when he does this, it drives him. To, like, do these things also. A movie that was made in the 60s that presents sexual harassment at work as a horrifying experience. Yeah. Like, that was not done. No, no. It, 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 it was usually part of the plot. Yeah, it was a joke. Exactly. Yeah. It's what Captain Kirk Cary did to every yeoman. slap him around, no, and of it's course, funny. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Cary Grant, I mean, yeah, like Frank Sinatra <laughs> slapping asses. You know, uh, it's, yeah, this was like, they were showing, okay, the wow, the girl is very terrified, and she doesn't know what to do. And, and the way the... Um, the, the camera work even adds to it where where, oh, where it shows kind man. of this like satanic view of Carl and it distorts him in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh intentionally so again close up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and it cuts to his like his view where he's looking like at her bending over. And yep. it's the again and then the haunting music just droning on while right. it's happening too. You hate this guy. Like yeah. you I mean I guess I don't know how you feel about this guy. You don't like him. But until he converts to Nazi, until he goes over the edge, yeah, then you don't really hate him. I guess you kind of don't know where he's going. I this is going to be weird, okay? okay. But um, I'm going to make the strangest comparison and analogy we've ever probably done in this show. But here goes. Um, Let's do it. Yes, uh, I think Mark Romanek, the filmmaker who made One Hour Photo, uh-huh. I think he must have seen this movie. Probably um, because Psy <laughs> talks and acts just like Rudolph Rosinski. His idea of one hour photo, I at, wonder his place in the yeah. world. He has this idea that he is an, an invaluable part of the machine. He of does. Yeah. Humanity. That's funny. I wonder if Robin Williams pulled from this. He even kind of look. he's got the same Hitler comb over in the movie. Yeah. And he's constantly, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously talking to the audience and, and really waxing poetic about an occupation that is uh, very uh, mundane. It's mundane. Yes. Yeah. It's not righteous. No, no <laughs> at all. I mean, I, I, the the idea of like making money off the dead is kind of it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. You know, in any way. <laughs> and when that's your business, I personally don't cotton to it, you know? I yeah, I think right, that yeah. death should be free, personally. <laughs> oh, free death? No way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine? But go back to listen to Big Lebowski what Dave had to say about the coffee <laughs> cane exactly, and everything. Yeah. Yes. Dude. Francis Donnelly is also complicit in this. <laughs> He probably loves the cremator, he, and and he thinks he's right. <laughs> he thinks the he thinks the, the Carl cremator's is, the good guy. Yes, he thinks that Carl is the protect is, is the. Oh my god! Wow. Oh man. Uh, but he's not. No, because he's awful, even to the point where he murders his family. <sighs> yeah, one by one. Yeah, they go one, down. Oh god. Um, and we'll have to look. I I, I can't remember the the name of the actress, but she. Um. Uh, oh yeah. She plays two characters in this, yes. by the way, his she, wife yes. and the whore. Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, she plays Lakme and Dagmar. Mm-hmm. And um, when he goes to the bride, and I didn't realize it until after the movie was over that they were the same actor. Yeah. Um, you know, she she like I don't think she's wearing a ton of makeup as as the sex worker in the brothel, but. Um, she completely embodies the other character to the point where you don't even think about that you're looking yeah. at the same person that you've been looking at at his house. Yeah, I didn't know either. Um, it's quite a performance. Yeah, it's Vlasta Kramastova. That's right. Okay, yeah. I tried to remember that name yeah. before the show started, and I couldn't remember it. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, she gives a great performance, too. Yes. Hardly anything to say in the movie. Most people don't say anything in the movie. Because this guy's just running off at the mouth. Yeah. You know, it's either him or the Nazi who's always talking. Yep. And unfortunately, that's the world. You know, that, that's that's this world and the previous one is like mm-hmm. the, the loudest people are the ones who, you know, just are. are oh, well, yeah. The ones we have to listen to. Dude. And so like he we were getting to where he murders his family and he kills his wife. And there's a great scene when he does it because this is right. He's after he's joined the party officially. Yes. He's now part of it. And they convince him that, you know, your wife is half Jew. And so are your kids. They're quarter Jewish. We can't have that. And there's a scene where he's sitting there at this casino brothel, wherever they are, yeah. with these Nazi leaders. And he's like, you know, you're right. Yeah. And at the crematorium, you know, you know, the, my assistant there. Yeah. He's kind of I don't like him. And the, the director. Yeah. He's he said something bad about the Nazis. And he lists like 50 people that he suddenly at the drop of a dime, is now ready to kill because they they don't 100% believe the Nazi cause. The terrible power of propaganda, you mm-hmm. know, and how it can make you look at someone who's been in your life for either like a loved one or just someone you work with and you all of yeah. a sudden one day just hate them and want them gone because they are the enemy and um, it's totally untrue. Yeah. And made up. And the idea that you yourself have that little conviction of just people around you and the world around you and and that you can be influenced this easily. And now you think that you are not only right, but that you're some kind of uh, paragon of virtue and that you're uh, the very embodiment of masculinity. Dude. I mean, Scott just let out a heavy sigh, a world weary. Uh, <laughs> Dave look just on his laid face. it on, man. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I'm I'm so dejected right now. Yes, I just exactly. can't even can't even take this movie anymore. I know, I know. I, I'm gonna watch it a hundred more times, but because <laughs> right. it's that good. Yes. Um. Yeah. And after this scene, we get the scene where he murders his wife. It's a POV shot of him following her around their apartment. Until they ultimately end up in his bathroom, which looks like a gas chamber, by the way, with the white tiles. A weird and bathroom. There's yeah. a scene when he turns on the water and the steam fills it, yes. just like the gas in these chambers. Oh my god, the symbolism's amazing. Oh, absolutely. I, and, I hadn't even, uh, yeah, I hadn't even thought about. It. Yeah, you're right. It does look exactly like because I mean, there, there's you, you don't see. It's just like even the floor is like subway tile. Yeah, you know, and and they're just standing amongst this this like smooth white area that that does not look like an inviting bathroom whatsoever. Right. And he loves the bathroom. And it's his favorite place in the house. Yeah. He, he takes huge <laughs> pride in it. There, there's like two scenes where he's in there with his family, like looking at and admiring the beauty of this bathroom. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've messed up. <sighs> yes. And he like chases her into the bathroom. It's not even like a chase no. chase. He's just walking after her and she's trying to kind of flee 
without looking like she's fleeing. And you can see on her face, like, she knows something's happening. Like, this is crazy. From his POV, you see her just backing away from him yeah, throughout the house. looking directly into the camera. Yes. And ultimately, they end up in the bathroom, and he ties a noose up on the light on the ceiling because I guess it broke and you need to pull the rope. Yeah. That's what he says in the voiceover. And, but it's a fucking noose hanging there and he gets her to stand on a table and he slips the noose around her neck and just pulls the table out and she hangs and dies. And she's not resisting this at all. It's just happening, which I think is a great choice to show like how mentally disturbed this guy is. Yeah. Because in reality, Maybe he did do something horrific. Maybe he was choking her and trying to hang her. But in, from his POV, this is what happened. And it was peaceful. And he's sending her on. He's saving her soul. It's utterly amazing I and think, shocking. I think that you've, like, yeah, I think you nailed it. I, th- I think that you have, uh, you know, your interpretation of it is the same, I think, as, like, the like we talked about the deaths in American Psycho, how they don't go exactly as we're seeing. Yeah. Like, in his head, this serene death ritual happened, where it was completely, like you said, peaceful, and there was no resistance. Right. Um, she embraced going to the afterlife, when in reality, it was, like, a horrific struggle with, like, her... Um, her DNA is probably under his fingernails at this point. Yeah. Um, and if it was, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it, it was a massive struggle where he had to, like, choke this woman to death in a very primal way. Yeah. But that's not how he sees it. There's a great moment before this. Earlier in the movie, during Christmas, they're hanging ornaments on the tree. And he says, I wish I could hang you amongst the other ornaments, which is an amazingly Ugh. good bit of foreshadowing. I, I mean, it's, oh, my God. Uh and I don't even know, like, like that's when he makes that statement. He has not, in, like, voiced his intention to kill his family yet. Not yet. And But it's such a strange thing to say. It's a bizarre thing to say right? to another person. I wish I could hang you. You know, like, I wish you yeah. were an ornament on this tree. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's a fucked up thing to say to anybody, <laughs> regardless of your intentions. Right. He's try- He says something about, like, how the ornaments are beautiful and she's beautiful. Oh, sure. And, like, right. that's where she belongs, I guess. Yeah. But, oh, man, like... I guess, yeah, he believes everyone's soul is beautiful yes. and they need to be saved. Right. Man, fuck this guy so hard. <laughs> fuck this guy so hard. God. And, you know, it, it, and yes, um, and, you know, they even show him before he decides to fully embrace Nazism. He goes to a synagogue. Um, his his yeah. doctor friend who lives above him or below him i can't remember which one they yes. live in the same building uh Betelheim, yeah he treats carl for all of his you know maladies and Betelheim, you know they i guess arranges it for him to go to the synagogue and they go there and and we just sit for about a good five to ten minutes um watching him like hang out with with uh, uh jewish people yeah and um, he's been sent there to spy exactly yes that's right and um He's listening to the cantor, you know, recite Torah mm-hmm. and he's enjoying the melody and he's like uh, really outwardly. He's talking about how this is a very beautiful ceremony and boy, yeah. what a great culture. And, and I, I, you know, I, I can I can see, you know, why um, I this is this is really this might, might be something that we could all enjoy. And, yeah. You know, um, I really admire all this. And then there's like a stage whisper thing that happens where you see Walter's face come in uh, from like uh, the right of the screen, uh-huh. whispering Nazi propaganda into his ear, yep. talking about how these people want to take down the German Reich. 
and they don't want world peace. They want to destroy what we have. Um, And he's listening to it. He's taking it all in. And then he goes back to appreciating what's in front of him. But ultimately, of course, he uh, decides to like fully pay attention now to the Nazi Right, um, whispering into his ear, and he just excludes all of everything else. Yeah, then he after this, there's a meeting with the Nazis at the casino, whatever the brothel, wherever they're hanging out, and he even says like the opposite. He's like, yeah, their music is so sad, and it's yes, not, yes, not good. And the way the music cuts between scenes is really good. They overlap. You think you're in one scene when you're in the other, and right, they use all right, these awesome right. editing and camera tricks. But like in this scene, like the music from the synagogue is still playing. And it's that kind of sad music he's yeah. talking about. Um, and as soon as he says this, it cuts to like the cheerful music where they're at their party. And it's like his his mind is just like switched. It It's so wonderful, man. I know. I know. And there's other edits in the movie, too, that just disorient you. Like when he hands him the nudie pictures from the <laughs> girls to entice him, he's like talking to him in his kitchen or wherever in the dining right. room somewhere. And then he tucks him into his coat pocket. But then... He turns and he's at the dinner table with his family, but you thought you were still in the previous scene, but you're not. It just blows your mind. Was that the edit where they used his jacket to wipe the screen? Kind of. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. But like, man. I know. You think you're in one place, but you're not. Exactly. Because they do that again with him. Uh, being first in in like a family dinner, and then I think that was where the jacket thing came in. Yeah. The 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 camera pulls down and goes onto the back of his, like his shoulders, mm-hmm. and then so he's wearing like a black jacket, and then it just like dissolves into him being at the crematorium and walking toward it. Yeah. And there's that specter of like you know the 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 death woman. Yeah. Like Personification like the Grim Reaper kind yeah. of. Um, it's not, it's not exactly like what we see of, it's not Ingmar Bergman's Grim Reaper. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's a woman in like black dress yes. and like a shroud over her face kind of. Right. Yeah. And she's just the specter of, you know, like obviously, you know. Yeah. Death. Death. Yeah. Um, and she appears not only like at the crematorium, but she's like one of the, one of the sex workers. She's one of the prostitutes at the brothel. Yeah. She shows up everywhere. Right. Um, and I think she's in the synagogue too. I thought she might have been played by his wife also, but I don't oh, think she okay. is. Yeah, she's not. Just yeah. a different actress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but it could have just as well have been because this movie has that kind of like um otherworldly confusing effect on you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Eventually kills his son also. Yes. His and son, I, uh Mealy. This, this scene is one of the best in the movie. He takes him to the crematorium to kind of show him his job, I guess. And uh he's gonna go save his soul. Yeah. Oh, it is so because you. It is so upsetting because you know what's about to happen the whole time. Right. As he's walking him through the graveyard and everything. Yeah, he's walking him through the graveyard. He's talking about you know. I wonder what that person who died. What they're going to be? Are they going to be a dog when they reincarnate? And he's mm-hmm. just spouting this philosophy as he walks him to his death, and he takes him down into the basement where they keep all the bodies before they burn them and. There's some where they like nail the coffin down because there's not going to be a showing or anything. So he takes these nails out of the coffin and there's a German soldier there and he's saying like, oh, this, this is a great man. You know, he Mm -hmm. was a German soldier who died and he's a wonderful person. (laughs) And what he's going to do is put his son's body in there because it's nailed down. No one's going to look at it. No one will know. So his son's there. He's well, how old is his son? Maybe like 12, 13, yeah, something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. He's kind of this like aloof boy with the glasses on and Yeah, he's he's a gangly um kind of uh yeah. he's he's not a very athletic kid. 
No, but he likes the like he's getting into boxing and yes. one of the boxers, his his friend's a boxer who says he's got to get strong to knock the lights out on the Nazis, <laughs> which and I it, love. And at first, like and <laughs> that that is awesome. And at first, like Carl is very proud that his son is hanging around with a boxer. Yeah. And because he, he's worried that like he's big and strong. Exactly. Because because all of his yeah. Nazi friends are saying that Mealy, the son, is is effeminate and weird and lanky little shit. Yeah. And, you know, we don't want that because it's going to pollute German blood. That, that's what Jewish people are. They're, they're you know, they're and they, they, they don't uh, fetishize masculinity the way we do. Right. And um, when he finds out that his son is like with a boxer, he's hanging out with a boxer. He's at first really proud of that. And he thinks, oh, he's going to toughen him up. And then when he tell when the son tells him that the boxer is training really hard and becoming, you know, right. Uh, strong so that he can like take out the Nazis. Oh, that's when <laughs> that's it. OK, well, I got to kill this kid now. Right. And the scene culminates with him chasing his son around. Oh, he doesn't chase his son. He chases his daughter chases later. His daughter. But he grabs this pipe that's been in this room the whole movie. Right. And he uses it to bash his son's head in. And he stacks the corpse like you mentioned the, the you know the 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 coffin that had the German soldier in it. Yeah. He just puts the boy on top of the just stacks him on top of yeah. the German soldier and then nails the lid shut to put, you know, like two bodies in one casket. Yeah. And when he makes the killing blow, you get like we said this awesome camera work throughout the whole movie. You get lots of POV shots, you right. get you get the pipe coming down. You don't see anything graphic or anything like right. that, but I mean, it is truly disturbing of because of what's happening. This man is murdering his only son because of these corrupted thoughts he has. Right, right. And, this twisted logic. Yeah, and it shows his son laying there, and there's blood like all over the floor. Yep. And then you see a garden hose spraying water, kind of from off the screen. I know to to wash the blood down. Right. He's cleaning up the and scene, the crime. I don't know about you. But to me, it looks like he's pissing on his son. I thought he was at first. Yeah. Like, this has to be intentional. That's how much he hates Jewish people. Yes. He's pissing on their dead bodies. Right. And he Man. doesn't know that he hates them. Right. He thinks he's saving them I mean, and helping he's, them. He's got this, This we keep saying twisted, and I mean, it's beyond twisted, of course. It's um, like, it is so bloody wrong-headed you know, if you have this philosophy in the first place, obviously there's a lot wrong with you. But if right. you have the philosophy and you don't even know you have it, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> so he like sees himself also after he like murders these people. He can he sees himself out of body talking to himself, and he's dressed like like a Tibetan monk. Yes. Like he's actually in this religion now uh -huh. and. He, he's worshiping himself almost. There's with, another with him who is a Tibetan monk. Uh-huh. And who bows and genuflects before him, telling him the, of the great uh, charities that he's just done by killing his family. Oh, God. Yeah, and, like, he, he he's so self-righteous, he thinks, like, he's doing the right thing. Yeah. I keep saying that. He's doing the Lord's work. He's doing the Lord's work, and... He's being called to, he's being told, you know, you're the chosen one. You're going to do this and you're going to save the world and you're helping everyone. I you, guess. It, yeah. I mean, maybe this is, I, I guess, the psychology of, of any mass murderer, you know, maybe yeah. everybody who does this has that kind of, uh, maybe it's not a physical specter like we see here in the movie, but it could be something where they really do. If you have no empathy, yeah, I mean, maybe you think you do, 
maybe you think that you're actually doing a service to people and it and that's that is truly truly scary yeah and i think that's what the whole nazi party was predicated on their or their beliefs at least the the wrong beliefs i mean they they constantly one of the one of the pieces one of the tenets of their propaganda machine was to um let everybody know that what they were after ultimately was a a a peaceful world yeah um (laughs) world peace yes by getting rid of all the garbage. Exactly. Yeah. Because and it and you know anything that wasn't um, exactly a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant was corrupting yeah. all aspects of life. Yeah, they really ruined everything. Mm-hmm. I would argue the opposite. Absolutely. Actually. We uh, we all know that the opposite is true. So. <laughs> yes, indeed, dude. Oh my god. Um. So there's a scene earlier in the movie that we kind of skipped over that I really love. It's it's when they go to the carnival. Um, he takes his whole family there. This is before he fully joins the party and all that, and we're just kind of getting to know him. Uh, there's all these fun attractions. His, his son, his daughter, his wife all have a smile on their face. They're watching people dance and do tricks, and he's just not having it. Mm-hmm. He is so miserable at this place. In his face, he's just, like, frowning. He's not having fun. And he tells them, oh, well, if you guys like this, wait till I show you this. And he takes them to the wax museum <laughs> where it's a house of horrors and everything is dead. There's murders. It's disgusting. Right. And he's so happy. He's just like drinking it all in. And he's particularly excited when the, the woman in the bathtub is knifed to death by yes. her husband. Um, that really uh, makes him smile. Maybe this is why he loved his bathroom so much and That's, why yeah, he killed yeah. his wife in the bathroom. Right. Wow, I just made that connection too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's exactly. a great film, everybody. <laughs> um, and that yeah. exhibit too of, of the, the guy killing his wife. Mm-hmm. Okay, I... I, I know that when the knife goes in, you, you, you see it's obviously like a... It's like yeah, a there's like stomach. a slot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when the, the, the waxworks themselves, I think, are real actors. In the movie... Yes. In the movie, at least, they're not real wax figu- figurines or animatronics. They're actors that look like they're coated in they're wax. portraying wax figures. Yeah. It, it, it's a really... You know, it's kind of disturbing. It crosses that uncanny valley. Oh, exactly. That's exactly what it does. Yes. You feel so uncomfortable because you are questioning if that's real people or not. Right. And whenever you're asking yourself, I don't know if that's a person or a statue or what, you have no idea what it is. That's scary stuff right there. You because people want to know. You want to know what you're looking at. Right. And with this, you don't know. That that is that is one of the the te- that's one of the properties that are the unfortunate byproducts of the uncanny valley is that like yeah. it makes you anytime you're questioning whether something is truly human or not you feel queasy <laughs> yes and when this when the guy doing the stabbing like uh-huh. pretends to be a mechanical wax figure and he moves that way yeah it's like eh, 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 like you see him kind yeah. of uh, turn and like he's being... these are actors pretending like they're robots and, basically oh man it's really really unsettling it reminds me of like the little toys that uh sebastian makes in blade runner oh like, yeah yeah exactly. like how unsettling those guys are yeah uh-huh. it's like that right man. right it's really gross to look at and you know the reason you feel so the reason you feel so gross about it is because of, like you said, the Uncanny Valley. Yeah. And um, the family is disturbed by this. They are. Rightfully yes. so. I don't know about you, but I like this stuff. Um, <laughs> you told me that you like to go to the House of Horrors 
<laughs> immediately, right? Yes. When you see like whenever, a wax museum. <laughs> whenever I enter a wax museum, the first thing I do is go to the Chamber of Horrors. That's all I'm, right, man. And I, I feel bad about it now that I've seen the cremator. <laughs> we were talking off air about that. And I just can't help it now. I, I, I know that I'm okay. But when I saw this, I was like, oh, I feel implicated. Dave, you're fine. Thank Unless you. you start cremating me. <laughs> That's you're good. Exactly you're good to go, right. man. Oh man, that, that's I, I like the macabre too. It yes, is, of course. I'm drawn towards it, yes. which is probably partly why I love this movie so much too. Probably so. Um, but yeah, man, that, <laughs> that carnival scene is really something. It also featured uh, recurring characters um, in the movie. Yes. Um, it's. Uh, I'm gonna get their names right this time. Um, it's Mila Mislakova as woman in hat. And yeah. Vladimir Menchik as probably my all-time favorite screen credit. Vladimir Menchik as husband of woman in hat. <laughs> I mean, that is that's one gr- hell of a thing to put on your resume. That's a great credit. Exactly, yes. I had trouble defining these people in my notes. I'm like, what do I call these people? The the bickering couple? Or that's how, like, I, that's how I, I pictured because it. Because they show up several times throughout the movie. Yeah. And the woman is always kind of asking questions constantly about what's happening, almost like a child would. Yes. And she's hysteric about everything. <laughs> and her husband is constantly telling her to shut up and just enjoy it. And that's not real. It's an animatronic. <laughs> Calm down, woman. And they just have this back and forth throughout this scene and many other scenes. When they when they go to the boxing match, uh-huh. um, the, the, this couple is there. And she's worried <laughs> that the referee is going to be slugged. Yes. And, and he, he keeps telling her, that's, no, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And the best part is he does get hit. He gets hit. And she's like, I told you. And she storms out. <laughs> this is a slaughterhouse. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, don't, don't worry about her. She's just crazy. Just like Ugh. yelling this stuff. Oh, it's wonderful. It's, it's hilarious. But there's got to be some other meaning between these, these characters being here. But honestly, I cannot figure out what they represent. Well, the third appearance is only him. Only the ah, only the the because husband he's, of woman she's in lost. Hat. Yes, it's when he's walking his daughter to die at the end of the movie. Right. right, the woman isn't there, and he's looking for her. Right. What does this mean? I don't I've, know if it mean if they're implying that Carl killed her, or or if maybe she was taken by the Nazis. I, I don't know. Like like yeah, you know, and it's kind of like some of the who we thought was just an insignificant piece, uh, an insignificant person in our lives is now just gone, just erased. Yeah, yeah, and. He treated her a certain way, and now you can... This is the first time you see him, like, actually caring about her. Are you going to miss what you had when it's gone? Right. With him killing his family, is he going to regret this later? His presence being alone in the graveyard looking for his wife it, it can't be an accident and it can't be insignificant obviously they're yeah they're, they're, right. this is this is something that like they're trying to tell us something about death and like you said appreciating what you have this movie is so good yes it's, I a, it's a masterpiece i just have to say that right that's the only way um the end of the movie really is when he tries to take his daughter to go kill her in the same way he killed his son. Yes. The scene plays out almost exactly as the scene did with his son. The same people are in the cemetery. They take the same path. He says the same things. They look at the same statues. Right. And they end up in the same place. And he's going to hit her with the pipe. But this time, she doesn't stand there like his son did she kind of flees from him and you get that same pov shot from when he murdered his wife right and he's chasing her throughout this room filled with coffins yes and ultimately she does get away at least in that moment 
Yes, because he sees his manifested ego again walking down the hallway in its monk gear Mm -hmm. and telling him that he has been chosen. He is the Dalai Lama now. And he stops pursuing his daughter and just fully engages with this figment of his imagination. And you see her run away down the hallway and escape. And he doesn't care. He does not care one bit that she's escaping. Because now that he's been anointed the the, the new Dalai Lama, yeah. what that actually means for the world is uh, you, you see like a delegation from the Nazi party arrive at his estate and they're there to pick him up to take him presumably to one of the concentration camps yeah. and begin the process of building the gas chambers. Yeah, I think it's Walter who's been his friend from yes. World War One, who's tempted him into the party. Right. Who's kind of been almost like I guess a superior to him throughout the whole movie. Yeah. That's at least how I saw it. Now he's pulling up in the car, holding an umbrella over his head as if now he's his uh, inferior. Yeah. He's a which sub- is, sub- servant. Yeah. yeah. And he's walking him to the car saying, we have work to do and holding the umbrella for him, opening the door. <laughs> it's like he has transcended almost here. Right. And I guess in that moment then, so his daughter would be, like the, the the murder of his daughter would not be anything significant for him anymore because that's going to be taken like even yeah. the Nazis themselves say don't worry about your daughter we'll take care of her right yeah um so it's it's just an easy thing we're going to take the, the, this one person oh my you know, god don't worry about this murder we've got millions for you to do oh my god um do you, do you think he th- I mean obviously he did think he was saving his family by killing yeah. them mm-hmm. just as he does everyone else of course but what was he saving them from nothing i guess maybe suffering in a camp well he actually did save them from that and and walter says something to him before he murders his wife when he tells him he's got to do it he says you know essentially she's going to face many hardships in yeah. the next few years um so i guess in his mind in in a really you know, obviously disgusting and twisted evil way. He's going to spare her the, the tribulation of going through the Holocaust. Right. Um, and that is not what, what you do. In that, that is not saving your family. Of course it is. If, you if, flee the country. You, flee, you, you do what you can to get out. Even if that means you dying and them living, you yeah. have, you have to make sacrifices. You have to be, you're not being brave about it. Certainly. Yeah. That is how broken this guy's psyche is. He thinks this is the right thing. It's the good thing. If he could just honestly, like, I don't wish suffering on anybody, but if, if he could go for like, I don't know, if he could experience even one moment of suffering, like in his adult life, that wasn't the war. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he's obviously been through, if he fought in World War One, that was a brutal conflict and he yeah. should know what suffering is and he should apply it to the rest of his life. Instead, he goes completely the opposite. And listens to Nazi eugenics talk about his own family. Yeah. I wonder if the war had some kind of impact on World War One, which is why he's obsessed with death and the afterlife Could now. be, yeah. Absolutely. There's definitely it a connection It had to there. have, yes. man. But yeah. Yeah. That's the, the end of the movie. He's driving away in the car. And right. you see the woman who's portraying death in the movie kind of chasing the car. Yeah. Like, does that mean he's above death now? He's beyond it? I, I don't know, man. Like, I couldn't put my finger on what this was. Trying to decipher that um, yeah. symbolism, yeah, it, it's a little beyond me, too. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we could probably do a whole podcast just on that one piece of it. You know? Yeah, but dude. Right. Ooh. And and out the window, they kind of show the, I guess, there's this temple that he's kind of shown us. Yeah. Where, 
where the Dalai Lama lives. I yeah, think? It's, it's, yeah, it's the temple in Tibet, right? Yeah, and it it shows up outside the window, and you see like it looks like the car is headed that way. Yes, it's fucking wonderful. Yeah, I know, man. I know, I know. This that's guy, the end. Oh man, this, that's where this guy thinks he's going. He's going to <laughs> Zobabor or Terblinka or something like that, but he thinks it's the Dalai Lama's palace. Dude. Dude, 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 dude. Oh, wow. I, I, I've never, I never would have believed in a million years that we could have a, a connection of this kind between <laughs> yeah. something that truly is for peace and tranquility in the world versus the exact opposite. Dude. Wow. I can't stop saying dude just because <laughs> <Right>. I'm speechless. <laughs> I, I the know, movie man. has left me speechless. Well, and, and, and rightly so, because yeah. it's, it's not only like this is the deepest of deep cuts, as we know. We, we, we talked about it off the air. Yeah. Um, yeah. And whenever whenever you, you finally get around to seeing a masterpiece that, that kind of just got by you, you were always aware of it. This was the first time in my movie going career that I yes. didn't know something existed was, and then was just floored by it. Yeah, we mentioned it earlier. I, I was totally shocked. You had never even heard of it. It's yeah. like because you're you're the guy, man. <laughs> like, I know movies, but Dave knows movies. <laughs> Like he is the movie guy for real. I've learned tons from Dave, I, and it feels great that I could actually show him something that he knew nothing about, man. That 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 was awesome, man. Yeah, I was like, dude, you never. I knew he's gonna love it right away. Right. Like I was just so happy, and I loved it, which is why I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, and dude, Chef's kiss. <laughs> yes, dude, right. amazing. Um, and one, one awesome thing about this is that your eye hurts. He filmed everything exactly how he wanted to. He had no interference. This was 100% director's cut. It's exactly how he wanted this film to be, which is unbelievable. That never happens. I mean, especially even just in that time. This I and mean, Magnolia. Yeah, that's about I, it. I know. Yeah. Like, so, so he, he, him, him along with Paul Thomas Anderson and the Coen brothers, yeah, the only yeah, right? filmmakers who have final cut. <laughs> that's, wow. Which I don't think he did after this. And he's had previous movies to this too, which did have studio interference. Of course. And, yeah. Um, the movie apparently is, it does have a big following in like Czechoslovakia. Yes. They actually go to where they, the exterior for the crematorium in the film, that's a real place. And they go there and they screened the movie there. Um, they screened the movie? They screened the oh movie there. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which is really cool. Wow. I, I, I'm also just like kind of fascinated by like Czech and Slovak culture in general. Um, but when, when uh, Czechoslovakia first uh after the wall came down and the country split into the czech republic and slovakia yeah um it was called the velvet divorce which really? is one of the coolest historical terms i can ever that's I've, I've really ever awesome yes. dude yes oh it makes me think of like velvet underground <laughs> yes or, of course <laughs> i mean i guess it's just the word velvet i know I mean, it, it just velvet so, always sounds awesome it's so poetic the velvet divorce yeah what a, wow. Yeah, pretty cool. That doesn't suit this. <laughs> yes, so, it does. That's oh, true. I don't know. I feel like David Bowie's there. I know. Like, <laughs> it, 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 it sounds like something that is kind of, um, I don't know, like, I don't know, like we said, it's poetic. But yeah, it, right. It, it's it's something that obviously that, that had a great effect on people, but yeah. it just has a cool name. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about this? Um, just in general about, uh, rather than the film itself, I mean, like, we, we touched earlier on like how Czechoslovakia suffered under the Nazi regime yes. at this time. It was, it wasn't even known as Czechoslovakia anymore. As far as the Nazis were concerned, they called it the protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia. Mm-hmm. And it was headed by a Nazi officer named Reinhard Heydrich, who was one of the architects, main architects of the Holocaust. Yeah. He was Adolf Eichmann's superior officer. And he was known as the butcher of Prague. Uh, that was what he came to be known as. Yeah. Um, he just, he, he ordered the death of so many civilians 
and two Czech military officers went who had like the the government in ex the government who had been toppled they were in exile in uh, in Britain mm-hmm. and uh, Brit the UK forces worked with them to assassinate Heydrich and they successfully did it in 1942 he would succumb to his injuries like a week after the attempt mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately it then uh, motivated the Nazis to further brutalize uh, the people of Czechoslovakia. And when you watch this movie, the idea that any Czech citizen would go along with what Heydrich and the rest of the Nazis did Mm -hmm. is we've already talked about how disturbing it is. It's just it's unthinkable that someone could not only sign off on it, but then, you know, celebrate it and toast, you know, and and profit from it and not understand that they are. Um, that fate is going to deal them a death blow at some point, and they're going to have to. I, I I hope there is an afterlife where some people have to actually, you know, be accountable for their actions. Right, and they're not just reincarnated into a dog or Good something. Good lord, yeah, no. Right? Yes, yeah. please, please <laughs> tell me that that Carl is not right. <laughs> well, I know he's not right. That's for sure. <laughs> That's true. Right. Anyway, um, okay, yeah. Dave. We, would you recommend the movie? Yes, yes. I, I would recommend this movie to everyone. And look, everybody, you know, Scott has uncovered a rare bloom zebra orchid here. So please seek this out. Yes. Uh, subscribe to the Criterion channel. Or you know what? I'll just say it. Google it and see what comes up. Yeah. You know, there you uh, go. so yeah, it's, I'm sure it's on Internet Archive. Find a way to watch this. Exactly. Your public library probably has a copy of the Criterion DVD. Yep. Yep. Get it there. Seek Steal it out. Steal it. From your family. That's how good this movie is. <laughs> there you go. Right. You should cremate anyone who owns it and take their copy. If you're, if you find out that your parents have the cremator, I mean, like, like <laughs> you have a lot to talk about. Yes, I've got I mean, the Blu-ray, folks. Right. Get that. I highly recommend it. Yes. Um. Yeah. Five stars all around. Right. You. I'm sure you heard in our voices the whole time. This movie is. A, it's a six-star movie. Yes. Yeah, this of is so good. Yes. Um, everyone has to watch this. You've got to watch it, man. It is a classic of world cinema. Yes. And that wraps things up. So if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Rate it, review it. Most of all, share it. It gets more dudes listening to the dudes. Or you can go to dudesonmovies.com and find anything you need right there. Yes, and we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and other social media to come. Or you can also drop us a line uh, our email address, dudesonmovies at gmail.com. Right. And we got a question of the week. Dave, what is the question of the week? What is the most obscure movie you have ever watched? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, so call into our voicemail and let us know. 628-400-DUDE. That's 628-400-3833. And stay tuned next week when we do 1996's Swingers, directed by Doug Lyman and starring John Favreau and Vince Vaughn. So until next week, I'm your dude, Scott. I'm your dude, Dave. And we'll see you next time. Yeah.